Let me pray again real briefly. Father, uh, help my words and my thoughts be clear and articulate this morning. Lord, the fruit of what we do, the desire is to know you better. And Lord, knowing you better to glorify you more fully. And our purpose in life is to know you and glorify you. And we ask that your spirit would be at work in our midst taking the truth of your word, Lord, the, the precious value of Jesus, your son, and kindling a fire in each one of us to glorify you in our lives with our voices, with singularity of mind as members of the body of Christ as well. Help us to that end now in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, in the uh, interest of full disclosure too, minor note here related to last week, I made a factual error when I said the church does not pay Eric Anderson for maintaining our website, we pay Eric the princely sum of $100 a month. Uh, we started that a year or two ago just as some means of appreciation for the fact that Eric's working week in and week out. We did that. Eric didn't even ask for that. We did that. So full disclosure, there you have it. We're in the fourth and last week of a short series on worship. Uh, this had been something that had been on my mind for a long time. It's kind of hard to believe it's here and gone this morning, but if you remember back a month and change, week one, we talked about that in the big scheme of things biblically, to worship means to come before God, to bow before Him. That that physical posture of bowing before God reflected that we said, you're God, we're not. And we owe you all that we are and have and think. Big picture, worship is bowing before God. We talked about worshiping at the Lord's table also. We do that as a church once a month on the first Sunday of the month and by the way, for us, that's next week. And we attach potluck lunch with that because just like the early church, we're putting that concept of fellowship together with the worship that we bring to the Lord as we remember Him in the way He asked us to at the Lord's table. Last week, uh, a ton of responses, so I know this was an important aspect of worship also. Worship in our areas of labor and work that that's not wasted time, what we're doing, changing diapers at home or out in the work world someplace, that that's actually primarily for most of us, that's the main sphere in which we offer God worship. It's in our labor and our work. This morning we're wrapping up talking about corporate worship or worshiping together. Uh, Matthew 22 tells the story of a king whose son was getting married, and so there was going to be a big shindig to honor his son on his wedding day. And so the king has sent out invitations. And when the time for the feast comes, he sends his servants out and they say, hey, it's time, come on to the feast. And one after another makes excuses for why they cannot come. The king wants this hall filled to honor his son on this special day, the wedding day. And so he sends his servants out to the highways and byways and they bring in every soul they can get into that place to honor the king's son on the wedding day. Now, this is good so far. But as the king strolls through, he sees among the guests an individual, a man, who is not appropriately dressed. He does not have the wedding garments on. This sounds a little odd to us, but everyone there knew that you were supposed to be dressed in a particular way for this feast, for this wedding celebration. And usually it was the host that would provide these clean white garments. And so for the king to come in and see this guy in his own clothing, 
not dress for the feast to honor his son. This was an, ins an insult, and it was known to be such. And so the king pitches him out. Of course, it says into outer darkness. Now, all I'm, all I'm bringing up this morning is the thing that the guy's not properly prepared. We're not talking about outer darkness, okay? But the guy's not free to stay because he wasn't prepared. Didn't have on the right garments. I think that not infrequently we are like that fellow when we gather here on Sunday morning. And that is to say, we're coming to engage the King of the universe and His Son and to honor them collectively, but we've not brought any appropriate preparation. You know, I think oftentimes when we get here on Sunday morning, Kath, can I get some water? I took a cold pill and my mouth is absolutely parched. Sorry. Um, for a lot of us getting here on Sunday morning, the fact that we got here, that's an achievement. And God and everyone else should just be glad that we deigned to get here. We fulfilled our obligation and we showed up and certainly shouldn't that be enough. And you know the truth that we get here, even if it's done poorly, that, that's good, that's commendable as far as it goes. But is that enough? No, it is not enough. On the front end of this morning, what I want to talk about is some very practical things just about how we're coming in here on Sunday morning and the repercussions for what that might mean to our corporate time of worship together. And then we'll wind down talking about some specifics related to the act of worship as we sing and pray together. God expects, I think, generally more from us in preparation coming in on Sunday morning. Thank you. Because He wants more for us, frankly, in this time. We talk about offering God all that we are, who we are, what we have, and that's all absolutely appropriate. But God is always the greatest blesser. God is in debt to no man. You know, we say we honor God, that's a good thing, we should. But we are always the most blessed, not God. God is not most blessed. If we don't worship God properly, He is not diminished in any essence as to who He is or what He is. He's not wringing His hands if we don't get this right. He wants more from us because He wants to give more to us. So with the thought of preparation, most of us come to these services on Sunday morning probably hoping to do two things. One thing is, some people put it this way, I want to fill my spiritual tank for the week. I feel depleted spiritually or emotionally. I need to get together with some other Christians to sort of boost my spiritual immune system. I need encouragement. I need to be built up. And that's appropriate. and That's helpful. We also say sort of something like, I want to bless others while I'm there. I want to honor God while I'm there. So we've got a few goals in mind usually when we come in on Sunday morning. So what is it that prevents us when we come here from seeing those totally worthy, appropriate goals fulfilled that we feel encouraged because of our time here? And that we feel like in some way at least we've given God His due. We've praised Him. We've ascribed to God those things that are true of Him. Perhaps even we've gone the extra mile. We've tried to encourage someone else that we've met with this morning. What's the difference between the Sundays in which we're successful with those goals and the Sundays in which we aren't? For instance, does it really get down to things like the teaching was just too long? The answer is no. Amen. <laughs> no, never. Or 
Or how about this? The music was, you know, it was just too loud. Or the music was just not my type, not my style. Or how about we sang too many hymns? Or we didn't sing enough hymns? You know, is that really what it comes down to if we leave this place on Sunday morning and feel like we're unencouraged or we were not able to worship God or that we were unable to bless someone else while we were here? Does it really come down to those things? See, I don't think it does. There's all kinds of things that affect us Sunday morning for sure. And some of those are important, it's practical, and I get that. But at the end of the day, those are not the reasons, I would argue, by which we say we were successful or not here on Sunday morning. When Paul wrote his protege Timothy, 1 Timothy 1 verse 5, he said this, The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. That is supposed to be characteristic of us 24-7. If we don't have these attributes, we are hindered and hampered in our ability to interact with God. And that's especially true, true in spades, right here on Sunday morning. An unclean heart hinders, for sure, our ability to perceive God, to see God, and to hear from God. Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. A pure heart. How about this too? Our prayer is affected by what we bring with us or don't bring with us when we arrive here on Sunday morning. Psalm 66, 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You and I can't come here and pray with confidence if we've got unconfessed sin between us and the Lord. We've got something between Him and us that does not allow that free, blessed interchange. Our praise is affected by what we bring from the previous days and weeks. Psalm 137, verse 4, this is a slight tangent, but the Jews in Babylon in captivity say... When the Babylonians say to them, say guys, play us some of those songs from Zion, your praise songs back from your home country. Play us some of those songs. And they say, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? In other words, if you and I are living in the wrong place, if we're living not just in the world, but of the world on the previous week, it's pretty hard to get jazzed up about the songs of Zion when we meet here on Sunday morning. Because what we're trying to do here is at odds with what, where we're living the rest of the week. How can we sing Christ's praise if our heart's been living in a foreign land through the rest of the week? We need to approach God, and we've said this before, if we see ourselves in the imagery of a Jewish priest, that's helpful to me in my mind. You know, if you go back, by the way, this next Saturday we'll learn something about the Old Testament and... The Old Testament talks a lot about the temple. So if you were a priest approaching God, you went to the altar and an animal was slain, its blood was spilled out so that your sins could be covered. And then as you approached that next step towards the temple, you got to the big basin of water and you were washed clean. Just to suggest, when we come here on Sunday morning as worshipers, we need to come with a mindset. I'm confessing my known sins. I'm getting that taken care of before I arrive. To the degree that I'm able to, I'm putting things right with others. You remember in Matthew 5 also, 
If you go to worship and you remember someone has something against you, go and make it right, then come back. God wants the horizontal to be properly in place as well as the vertical. So we need to have a mentality that we've actually come prepared. It requires something of us before we show up here if we're going to bless God and feel encouraged in the doing as well. Alan Ross, in a book called Recalling the Hope of Glory, a, a tome on worship in, very broadly and all throughout the Scripture, says this, We rarely see the splendor, the beauty, and the glory of worship because we are not drawn out of our world enough to comprehend this God of glory. Consequently, our worship is all too frequently unexceptional and at times irrelevant. You know, on some Sunday, we probably leave here saying, it just didn't get me. It seemed irrelevant. If we could grasp the incongruity of speaking so casually about God, we would be overwhelmed and could never again worship comfortably in the same ways. We would think it too demeaning for God and too flattering to us. This mentality that says, I just show up and God should be pleased. He says, no, no, no. If we're coming to a worship service and we're going away unaffected, there's probably a reason. It probably has something to do with what we're bringing in us or with us. We need to put some preparation into our times before our times together to worship on Sunday morning. Have we confessed sin to God? Have we sought forgiveness from others? Matthew Henry says this, and this is a reference to Malachi 1. If you remember there, God indicts Israel because they're bringing the torn, the lame, and the blind animals as their sacrifices to God. Which God had said, those are not the kind of animals you offer on my altar. You give me your best. They were giving Him their second best, if that. Matthew Henry says in that context, if we worship God ignorantly, and without understanding, we bring the blind for sacrifice. If we do it carelessly and without consideration, if we are cold and dull and dead in it, we bring the sick. If we do not make heart work of it, if we suffer vain thoughts and distractions to lodge within us, we bring the torn. You see, this all has to do with how prepared we are as we come here on Sunday morning. We need to come thoughtfully and respectfully as well as joyfully and exuberantly. We need to come, in the language of the Bible, with clean hands and pure hearts. We meet in a gymnasium, and we're a culture that's really laid back anyway. So if it helps you the way it does me, when you walk into the gym... In your mind's eye, see the Crystal Cathedral. It's a stretch. Or Notre Dame, or my favorite, St. Paul's Cathedral in London. Because when we go into a place like that, we sort of get a sense spatially, this is a special place. And that's what the architects of those buildings wanted, of course. This is where God meets man. Well, guys, it doesn't matter what the surroundings look like. As Christians, when we gather to the name of Jesus Christ, as the church of Jesus Christ, this is the place that God meets man. And man meets God. And so it is totally appropriate to come in sort of frivolously, 
thoughtlessly bringing the lame and the blind and the torn, these, these remnants of sort of what we've got are leftovers from the week. God takes us as we are, and please don't mistake this, God takes us as we are. He's under no illusion about who we are and what we are and what we're bringing in. But just to say, He is the great God. He's the creator of the universe and He's our Lord and Savior. And so to say, I simply want to come with my heart and my mind, my hands, my actions, just in a way that's appropriate to gather together with the rest of the body and say, together, we're serious about giving you praise, Lord, about loving you and loving each other. Let me go over a list of practical considerations here. So that's, that's getting our own heart and mind in order before we get here. Here's some practical suggestions. One is minimize distractions. Little things like, sorry, just go to the bathroom. If you've coffeeed up before your kids, hit the bathroom before. You know, it's funny, if you could look down on this room during the service, it actually looks like a beehive. There's so much interaction of people coming and going. But if we can minimize distractions just so that we for ourselves or those around us have less distractions to work through, that's just a good thing. That's helpful. That's healthy. If you have small children, and we've got tons of children here, and guys, we're all about the kids. We're glad they're here. Keep having them. We bless you. Kathy and I are done on our part, but you keep having them. We bless you. You know if you're a parent with little ones, if they're going to be fussy, you're on edge. You don't feel free to simply participate, to listen to the teaching, to join in in the worship. We've got our version of a crying room right here in the cafeteria. There's a speaker in there. There are chairs set up. If you as a parent are going to be distracted because Junior's fussy or just not feeling well, or if you're afraid Junior's going to be a distraction to people around you, just hit the crying room. Minimize the distractions to yourself and to those around you. Here's a suggestion too, just a suggestion. It's neat to worship as families. If you have small children especially, it does, I think it does more than one thing. It does minimize distractions. Uh, I don't think my girls, when they were growing up, were more likely to listen to the teaching or enter into worship if they were hanging out with their peers, their friends during the service than if they were with mom and dad. You know, sometimes sitting with, with friends is just another potential distraction. The other thing, though, that worshiping as a family does is it sort of has a, a mechanism of cementing in your family psyche or your children's thoughts and minds, this is what we do. This is part of who we are. We worship together. So think about that as a means of minimizing distractions also. If you don't have small children, sitting up front is a great thing. It's just like being a student at class. There's just fewer things and people to get in your way of either listening or joining in. So I'd encourage you to sit up front too. Let me give you six quick practical applications from Dave Mathis. This was from the Gospel Coalition blog. Let me run through these quickly. His first is arrive early. Let me say it again. Arrive early. I didn't get any amens on that. Not one. Arrive early. Uh, just for one thing, think a lot of us are sort of cutting it close, and so we feel stress coming in here on Sunday morning if we're running late. A friend of mine, a, a Marine, said, On time is late. On time is late. You know, if you get here 10 minutes early, your angst level just plummets because you're not rushing. 
Get there early. The other thing getting here early does, as well as freeing you from anxiety or worry or stress, you're here early to hang out and talk with other Christians and fellowship or welcome newcomers. It's a great thing. You know, it's hard to get the service started because everybody's in the back hanging out around the coffee and chatting. Well, if you get here early, you get a little bit more of that. It's a great start. Get here early. Uh, I love this one. This is probably my favorite. Park far and sit close. And for him, this was all about considering others as more important than ourselves. So if I park far away, I'm showing considerations to those folks who may be coming late or later that they can park closer and get in. And when I come in here and sit, I sit near the front or I sit near the center because I'm being considerate for for others who may come in after me and they've got an easier place to get in and get a seat. This is just all about being considerate of others. And by the way, guys, God our Father is pleased when we love each other. And this is just about loving each other. Because when we come together, we are trying to direct praise to God, but we can't do so in a context of being at odds with each other. God wants us to lovingly gather together so that we can singularly raise our voice to His praise. His third is participate heartily. Don't just be a spectator. He says, and I fully agree, you're robbing others of the value of corporate worship when you don't engage. The experience of corporate worship is enriched when all the attendees participate. And by the way, this singular point is the reason for this worship series. You know, It was the comments of visitors that said, you guys just don't seem that enthusiastic or that tuned in during the worship time that led to this short series. Uh, we should not be spectators here. In saying that, listen, I know there are times during praise and songs in which you may just be touched, you just may want to pray quietly. and That's great. Uh, but, but the norm is we're saying we're not coming in as spectators. Worship is not a spectator sport. We're coming in as participants. That honors God, but it also blesses the people around us. It's a good thing to participate heartily, enthusiastically. His fourth is smile. Now, hear me on this. This is not an invitation to a plastic smile on Sunday morning. How are you? I'm fine. No, my life's falling apart. This is not an invitation to hypocrisy. This is what he says, like George Mueller, seek to get your soul happy in Jesus and ask God for help to spill over some of your soul satisfaction on others. That's what he's talking about. So it's smile. It's basically try to have a positive impact on the people around you. Share the joy that you have in Christ. Smile. His fifth is stay late and engage others. He says relationally, this is one of the most strategic times during the week. It's a time to look out for new faces you can make feel welcomed. He says old faces. I would just say acquaintances. People that we already know that you can connect with. This is uh, one of the ways when you prepare, when you think about Sunday morning, let me encourage you to do this right along this line. Uh, Pray before you get here. Who does God want you to connect with here this morning? You know, it is so funny. Uh, We've tried to practice this. We were at a conference uh, a couple weeks ago, and we just pray on the way in. Lord, would you make sure we connect with those people you want us to get to know? And it's funny, God answers that prayer. We end up having relationships with people that we know are providential. 
Well, that encourages us. Um, if you're here in late April, uh, there will, should be a couple of young gals from England who are going to join us. They're visiting our family because of a serendipitous providential meeting in which we're just we're in England and we're visiting and God you know shows those people you want us to connect with and and that chance meeting with a couple young gals developed into friendship they're actually visiting us here so you'll get to know them in just several weeks here God's in the details so before we get here Lord who do you want me to connect with sometimes that's so we can encourage them sometimes that's so they can encourage us that goes both ways but Lord who do you want us to connect with stay late look out for those fellowship opportunities This applies, by the way, to kids and young adults as well. Uh, For sure, this doesn't exclude anybody. All of us can do this. Lord, who do you want me to interact with? His last point is come to receive from God and give to others. You know, on one hand, we're saying when we come to worship, it's about God. It's It's not about us getting something. It's about us giving something. God is the consumer here. But this is a recognition that God always blesses more than he is blessed. He is the ultimate divine blesser. And so when we come, we come with a sense that, Lord, as we worship you, we know we'll be blessed. And might that grace and that truth and that encouragement we get from you help us to spill that out and over to others as well. We're always in debt to God. We are always the most blessed. We never out-bless God. This is one of the great things about worship too. You know the more honor and glory you give God, you know the more fully blessed you are? The more honor and glory, the more conscientiously we are honoring and worshiping God, actually the truth is our blessings just grows because of that. So we're ultimately always the most blessed and it's an opportunity to turn around and bless others as well. So, if we get to this point, we say, We've got clean hands, we've got clean hearts, we've prepared morally and spiritually before. There's appropriate preparation, we've had appropriate consideration for others as well. Then we're ready to worship. So related to participation, let me read from Psalm 95. One of my favorites on this theme. The psalmist says there, O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. You notice that refrain, that repetition, joyful. This is enthusiasm. This is exuberance. This is not sitting on our hands. This is up and down. This is enthusiastic about God's worship. But then listen to the second half of the psalm. Verses 6 and 7. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. You see, there it's reverence and it's humility. In the same psalm, you have both. So we want to do a couple things here. We want to bring the kind of enthusiasm we have for KU basketball or K-State football and we want to bring that kind of enthusiasm and focus that kind of enthusiasm to God that we're as enthusiastic about God as we are a basketball game guys give me a break or a football game that we'll forget next year about the living God 
Or also, we want to take those elements, if we think in our memory of those most sublime moments, maybe a sunset, maybe a time with someone we love or care about, sometime in, in which God has spoken to us specifically or particularly, we want to take that sense of reverence and hum, humility and thankfulness and we want to focus that towards God as well. So we don't always have to be jumping up and down happy. That's a good thing. That's a good norm. We can also be reverentially humble, that position of bowing before God. But see, we want Him to have the best of all of that. If we're pouring that out elsewhere, again, let me just say again, it's idolatry if God's not getting the best of that from us. So be careful that basketball is an idolatry and football and anything else in there. God should be getting our best. You know, the truth is we're made as creatures of praise and worship and we're going to worship and praise someone or something. So we want to be very intentional about when we do that here. If, if you want to stand or sit or kneel during worship, you should. You know, Sean and Bill may say sometimes, let's all stand together and that's great. Sometimes my back gets tired and I just sit down and that's okay. Or if you want to stand and other people are sitting, that's fine. We don't kneel a lot, I know, but if you want to kneel, kneel away. You know, should we have hands up or down during praise? Yes? Hands up or down? Yes? God's the consumer again. It's not about us and it's not about our neighbors. Guys, let me say, I know one of the, one of the chief, and probably I bet for 90% of us here, you know what one of the biggest problems for us with worship is? We're afraid what someone else will think of us. How my voice sounds or doesn't sound? Are my hands up or down? Am I enthusiastic enough? Or am I lame? Or what? You know, We fear each other. Now, fear is an aspect of worship. And what that really means is, if we're not careful, we come in saying we're here to worship God, but we're actually worshiping people instead. We're worshiping man, the people next to us. So God's a God of order. He's not a God of chaos. I'm not suggesting that when we get together corporately to worship, it's a chaotic scene. It's not. Paul's clear on that in 1 Corinthians 14. But guys, God should be getting our enthusiasm. He should be getting the best of our emotions. Humble and reverent or enthusiastic, God should be getting our best in either direction. It's not about the people next to us. And remind yourself of this. If you're fearing what others around you think, your eyes are in the wrong direction. That is not worship. Or it's worshiping the wrong object and the wrong person. You don't need to be a good singer either, by the way, to worship with gusto and heartily. Kent's actually a good singer. I love sitting next to Kent. I usually sit where Kent's at. I invite all the people who sing off-key, off-tune, who can't carry like You just join me up front because nobody can hear you. You know, the speaker, the, the folks up here, they can't hear you for the instruments. And you're not bugging anybody behind you. But we want to bring who and what we are and we want to offer that to God. But we don't want to hold back. God is the audience, not each other. This is our goal. Romans 15, verse 5 and 6. This, this is success. Worship's very subjective, but this is success. 
May the God who gives perseverance and encouragement, and let me just note, if he tells us, if Paul tells us here, God gives us perseverance and encouragement in the context of worship, that must mean we need those qualities as we pursue God in worship. The God who gives perseverance and encouragement grants you to be of the same mind with one another, according to Christ Jesus, have the same mind, so that, to this end, for this purpose, with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the goal. It's that we put away petty differences, we get right with God, we get right with each other, so that we think the same thoughts and we come together and many components in the body of Christ join together singularly to honor God, to, to make one voice, to say the same thing, to think the same thing about God, and then to direct that God word to God. That's what we're after. That's what Sunday morning is about. We have in this church, this is a very, very eclectic group, and I, I love that. Age, we, we span pretty good age range. We have lots of church backgrounds. We have lots of life history backgrounds. We have a lot of variety. And I see that as a strength. But one of the challenges of that on Sunday morning is we don't have a clear consensus on musical style. We're not all 20-somethings. We're not all 30-somethings that all have sort of the same taste. And we need to be patient with each other if we're singing more hymns than we want or more praise songs than we want. Sean and Bill work really hard at choosing music that's theologically significant and musically pleasing and then putting together a mix of the old and the new so that everyone here can feel like there was something here that for me emotionally was significant. That we were singing my kind of song. Not all of them, that's probably never going to happen. But we can't make worship about it's got to be this kind of song. It's got to be this kind of tempo. It's got to be upbeat or downbeat. It's got to be all reverential or it's got to be all enthusiastic. That's not the deal. We'll never, everyone's goals here will never be met on the same morning. And we know that. But see, it's ultimately it's not about it's up-tempo or down-tempo. It's not about it's an old hymn or it's a new praise song, ultimately. And again, I don't mean to say or suggest that that stuff doesn't affect us. Because it does. But just to say that we want to understand that being part of a larger body, we're accommodating each other in the tastes we have for worship music, and that itself honors God. That we're caring about each other. And that we're about loving God and loving others at the same time. It's not all about me. Not all about me. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession for this purpose, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We are called as priests to declare something corporately, together, singularly, with one voice. Hebrews 13.15 puts it this way, through Him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. What's the sacrifice of praise again? It's the fruit of our lips that acknowledge His name. It's what we corporately declare. 
together with one voice what we declare. Worship is an act of the will. It's what we decide to do. And corporate worship is a decision to raise our voices together to honor God. It is not primarily about musical preference. Hopefully each of us has a sense that we are in the place in Christ's body locally where God wants us to be. And if that's the case, and we need that, if that's the case, then we can say to ourselves, I'm in a large family with a variety of tastes, and I love my brothers and sisters even if we don't love the same musical style. That's okay. Because it's not about the musical style. It's about loving God and loving each other. Alan Ross, again in his book, Recalling the Hope of Glory, says this, For worship to be as glorious as it should be, for it to lift people out of their mundane cares and fill them with adoration and praise, for it to be the life-changing, life-defining experience it was destined to be, it must be inspired by a vision so great and so glorious that what we call worship will be transformed from a routine gathering into a transcendent meeting with the divine God. We seek a transcendent experience in worship, a sense of life bigger than our day-to-day existence, a catching up to a realm of greater freedom and glory, all of which is fine because God intends us to find those things in Him. If we merely settle for an emotional lift because the music was good or the teaching spoke to a felt need, We haven't necessarily worshipped God. It really is about God. And you can't get away the repeat refrain through the Scripture that it's about consideration for each other in God's presence. Let me say here too, uh, unsolicited, uh, my profuse and insufficient uh, thanks to Sean Schwenson and Bill Billen and the musicians and the singers and the tech teams and the setup and takedown teams that serve this church as an act of worship every Sunday. And it's not an easy thing. I mean, just the time commitment is fairly amazing. But it's a huge deal. And we get to praise and worship, and we come into seats that are here and sound equipment that's up because other people in the body of Christ are serving us. Before many of us get up in the morning, people are here setting up. So anyway, just thanks to those guys. That's part of their worship. To God, we appreciate it. I'm going to touch on finances very briefly. We're not talking specifically about this as a topic, but I do want to say this. In most churches and through most of history, collections are taken during the church service because the church rightly understood that giving was an act of worship. And if you read the New Testament, you'll see that the collection for the saints is taken on the first day of the week when the church was gathered together. We don't take a collection during this service. We don't make giving a part of the worship, the collective worship of the church gathered here. And we do so for this reason. In our time and day, in the wealthiest world in the nation, in the history of the world, I suppose, as well, For so many churches and parachurch organizations, it's all about the money. And you just get tired about hearing about pleas for money. We've sort of taken that off the shelf, and there's a giving box in the back. 
So when we give, we're usually just going to a box in the back of the church and sticking in an envelope or a check or whatever. This is what I want to say to you though. We need to remember, we need to recall, that is worship. We're not choosing to bring that into our our collective meeting as a church, but listen, don't forget, that is worship. So when you do that, do something in your mind so that you remember I'm worshiping God when I do this. When we are giving back to God, that's worship. And if you're raising your children, pull them into that. So that you guys go up, if you put an envelope in, do it as a family. Or show your family before you go to church, this is part of what we do. This is an act of worship. You know, if you give online automatically, do something so that you remember that's part of your worship to God. It's not insignificant. It's a big deal. So remind yourself of that. We're not making it a big deal as a church simply to avoid a, a cultural uh, pothole. But it still remains a big deal to God. So we don't want to diminish that for individuals and families. Remember to tell yourself that is part of your worship to God. When we were kids, my dad, you know, 11 of us in Mass on Sunday mornings, uh, would empty his pockets of change and give each of us some coins because he wanted us to go and put those in the little giving boxes there on the sides of the church. He wanted us to connect being in God's house with giving, that it was part of our worship, and it stuck. And to my dad growing up, I remember as a young guy getting my first jobs, and he'd say, son... You give your first 10% to God and you save your second 10% and you live on the rest. Because dad connected rightly worship with giving. So we don't make a big deal about this as a church. It is a big deal to God. So don't diminish that in your own mind. But as you give, remember, I'm worshiping God with my substance. Be intentional about it. Let me close a couple of quotes. A.W. Tozer said this, I can safely say on the authority of all that is revealed in the Word of God that any man or woman on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. If you're bored or turned off by worship, you're not ready for heaven. What does that mean? What are we going to do in heaven? It's about the worship. Now, I know we're going to be working too. I I don't know what all this is going to look like. We know we'll be with Christ. We're good to go. Whatever else comes, people have asked me, why does, why does Revelation or why does the Bible not talk more about what eternity will look like? And I think it gets down to this. You'll be with your beloved and your beloved will be with you. What else do you care about? You know, the bride and the groom on the marriage day, what else do they care about? Not a thing. Where are we going? Don't know. Does it matter? No. Why? Because we're together. That's the deal. And you know, I love... Let me close in Revelation 5. By the way, Revelation 4 and 5 are great chapters to read if you're preparing for worship on Sunday morning. This is our future. This is our future. And John's taken up to heaven after he's addressed the seven churches. Jesus has through him. And he says this in part. John has seen the courts of heaven, you know, uncountable multitudes around. There was a scroll that no one could open and he's crying and You know, the scroll can't be opened. I know it's important. And lo and behold, a lamb that had been slain stands in front and says, well, this is the one that can open it. 
And he says, I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, this is what they're saying together, to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen or yes. And the elders fell down and worshipped. And guys, that's where we're going. That's our next stop. When the trumpet blows and Christ calls, when we see Him face to face, this is our future. And when we gather together here on Sunday mornings, we need to reflect this heavenly reality. This is what the courts of heaven do today. This is what we're called to do today. To bring clean hands and clean hearts. To get right with God and each other before we come. To come thoughtfully because God's worth it. To be considerate of each other because God loves it when we treat each other with love and respect. And whether it's in more quiet, humble, reflective worship, or if it's enthusiastic, arms up, jumping up and down, that's for God. It's not about pleasing each other, impressing each other. It's about God. This is our future, and we need to act like it now. Father, would You release us from all the, the minor idols, the, the God, small g, and the demigods, all the, the people or the things that we bow down to instead of You. And Lord God Almighty, would You cleanse us of our sins. Thank You for the blood of Christ that fully covers our sins, our defects. Thanks for the washing of the water of the Word, Lord, that cleanses our conscience, our minds. God, thanks that You've made us adequate as worshipers because You've given us Your Holy Spirit and redeemed us to Yourself. And God, would You help us more fully choose to, with our wills, integrate worship as a normal part of our life, Lord, so that when we come together on these times, in these places, we can together, with one accord, with one mind and one voice, glorify You, God our Father in Heaven, and Jesus Christ, our Savior, through the power of Your Spirit, to Your honor. Amen.